Welcome from All Good Tales, it's Media Moments, a show about those strange, unique, weird and often bizarre times when the world changed forever in an instant. I'm Jack Murray. Today, we go back to November 1963 and the day that news anchor Walter Cronkite broke the story of President Kennedy's visit to Dallas. Here's a media moment that changed the world forever. Every day we watch soap operas on television to escape the ordinary and the mundane. Why? Because the story and the plot twists take us on a journey far away from our ordinary lives to the shocking and the sensational. But what happens when you're tuned in and something far more dramatic is about to unfold? Something so big it will find you wherever you're trying to escape. This is about one of those moments. Did you ask Lisa? No. Bob did. At half past one on the afternoon of November 22nd, 1963, American households were gearing up to get their fix of the daytime soap opera As the World Turns on CBS. Views were glued to their screens as Nancy Hughes had just told Grandpa that her son Bob had invited his ex-wife, the scheming Lisa, to Thanksgiving dinner. As the soapy drama was bubbling on screen, Walter Cronkite was in CBS Studio 57 in New York City, preparing to anchor the main evening news. The United Press teletype machine ticked out some news that immediately caught the attention of news editor Ed Bliss. It was a huge story. Bliss shouted across the room. An experienced broadcaster, Cronkite leapt from his desk to get on the air. However, with five hours to go before the evening news, cameras weren't yet in place, so Cronkite settled for the radio booth. Viewers at home were ten minutes into that day's episode of As the World Turns, when suddenly Nancy and Grandpa were ripped off the screen, replaced by the words CBS News Bulletin and the urgent voice of Walter Cronkite. Here is a bulletin from CBS News. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade in downtown Dallas. The first reports say that President Kennedy has been seriously wounded by this shooting. Bizarrely, coverage then went back to the soap opera, but not for long. Studio cameras and lights needed several minutes to warm up. The first three bulletins were delivered by Cronkite's voice, without video. The second news flash broke into the middle of commercials, the seriousness of the news jarring with the mundanity of ordinary life. Searching for a great new taste in dog food? Discover new Frisky's Magic Sauce Cubes. Here's a bulletin from CBS News. President Kennedy has been the victim of an assassin's bullets in Dallas, Texas. It is not known as yet whether the president survived the attack against him. As reports were bouncing round that the president had already died, Cronkite, a symbol of trust, made sure to stress that these reports were unconfirmed and continued to broadcast as if the president were still alive. The incident was this. The president, Mrs. Kennedy, and Governor Connolly of Texas driving in the president's famed bubble-top car from Dallas Airport to downtown Dallas where the president was scheduled to make a speech. Three bullet shots were heard to ring out. The president slumped into the lap of Mrs. Kennedy Witnesses said they saw blood streaming from his head. Governor Connolly slumped into the bottom of the car. 
Bullet wounds were seen to be in his chest. The car itself rushed on as Mrs. Kennedy was heard to say, oh no. He assured viewers that CBS would continue to provide more details as they surfaced. After 15 minutes, Cronkite was informed that the cameras and lights were ready. He sat at the news desk in a shirt and tie, but without his usual coat. He was surrounded by rotary telephones, typewriters, a clutter of papers and a lone apple that sat on the front of the desk. One hour after the first news flash came through the wires that President Kennedy was shot at, press officer Malcolm Kilduff released the news that everybody dreaded. It was up to Walter Cronkite to break the news. He fought to control his composure, locking it inside his clenched jaw. He was about to create one of the most famous media moments of the 20th century. He began to speak. But more of that later. Walter Leyland Cronkite Jr. was born on November 4, 1916, in St. Joseph, Missouri. His mother Helen, a homemaker, his dad Walter Sr., a dentist. Young Walter was a happy and inquisitive child. One day at the age of 12, he got a copy of Boy's Life magazine and read about the life of a news correspondent. It was then that he set his life's ambition. He decided he was going to be a journalist. In 1935, Cronkite dropped out of college after three years. After doing a series of newspaper reporting jobs covering news and sport, he entered broadcasting as a radio announcer for WKY in Oklahoma. In the early years of his career, Cronkite was known as Walter Wilcox, as radio stations at that time didn't want people to use their real names for fear of taking listeners with them when they left. In Kansas City, Cronkite joined the United Press in 1937 and became one of the top American reporters, covering the build-up and fighting in World War II, covering battles in North Africa and Europe. 1938, the sixth year of the Nazi Revolution. A lightning rebirth, unmatched, unchecked, stirs mounting confidence within Germany, mounting fear throughout the rest of Europe. Now established as a national name, Cronkite received a job offer in 1950 from Edward R. Morrow, at CBS News to join the team of war correspondents. The term anchor was first coined to describe Cronkite's role, marking the first nationally televised coverage at both the Democratic and Republican national conventions. The 1956 Democratic Presidential Convention, brought to you by Westinghouse from the International Amphitheater in Chicago. I'm Walter Cronkite, and this is our anchor desk in Control Studio A for our CBS News Westinghouse coverage of this 1956 Democratic Convention. On April 16, 1962, Cronkite succeeded Douglas Edwards as the anchorman of the CBS Evening News, a job in which he became an American icon. To break up a big civil rights demonstration that almost erupted into a race riot. There was something about Walter Cronkite that just drew viewers in. Despite his high profile, he was modest yet fiercely dedicated to his work. People not only liked him, they believed him, they trusted him. His wife Mary once joked that he looked like your family dentist, which was not at all surprising since both his father and grandfather were dentists. From setting his life's goal at the age of 12 to becoming the face of news, Cronkite had come a long way. He had become the most trusted man in America. Let's return to where we left Walter Cronkite on the early afternoon of November 22, 1963. 
He settled himself as best he could, holding the news copy. He looked at the camera and began to speak. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. Vice President Lyndon Johnson <clears throat> has left the hospital in uh, Dallas, but we do not know uh, to where he has proceeded. Uh, presumably, he will be taking the oath of office shortly and become uh, the 36th President of the United States. Visibly emotional, with a crack in his voice and a tear in his eye, Cronkite did what he did best. He informed the nation. The JFK report was a defining moment for Cronkite and for the country. His presence, in shirt sleeves, slowly removing his glasses to check the time and blink back the tears, captured both the sense of shock and the struggle for composure that would consume America. The nation mourned together for four days. Americans flocked to television and never let go, as if they were virtual prisoners to the horror unfolding on their screens. When JFK's funeral procession was televised that weekend, it was watched by 93% of all homes that were equipped with TV sets, the largest viewing audience ever recorded to that point. That day in 1963, the viewers of As the World Turns were thrown from a make-believe drama into one far too real. Their attempt to keep the world at bay with an afternoon soap opera was foiled by a moment that shocked and shaped the 20th century, proving that no matter how hard you try, if the news is bad enough, the media will find you, no matter where you're trying to hide. Media Moments is brought to you by All Good Tales. There's only one way to resonate, and that's with a story. If you need to connect with your audience, we can help you. We help people tell great stories through podcasts, brand newsrooms, PR, presentations, and strategy. Find us at All Good Tales on Twitter, or email story at allgoodtales.com. Media Moments can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. This episode was written by Alex Sheehan and me, Jack Murray. Production and research was by Anna Henderson, and sound supervision was by Al Dunn at Unique Media. Join us next week when I tell the story of that December day in 1980 when John Lennon came face-to-face with Mark David Chapman. Mm-hmm.